In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Unpacking the primaries and the race that's still in overtime. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm Patricia Murphy, one of the political insiders here at the AJC. Greg Bluestein is off today, so my co-host is Mark Nisi, elections and Georgia government reporter here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And of course, I want to remind you to please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. Coming up, Greg Bluestein and Tia Mitchell sit down with Sports Illustrated to talk about Herschel Walker, a closer look at the Republican Senate candidate's life from college sports hero to Senate candidate. You'll hear that special feature in today's episode. But first, a hand recount continues in the District 2 DeKalb County Commission race. Mark, this comes after a voter computer programming error was discovered last Thursday. And bring us up to speed with where things stand right now in that election. Well, this is an election in DeKalb County for the county commission, and it's just one race, but it speaks to potential problems with Georgia voting equipment. And so what they did in DeKalb is they had a recount that started on Saturday, continued Sunday, continued Monday. And now here we are as we're recording late Tuesday afternoon, we might find out the results or we might not. And you'll have to stay tuned to see if they have actually solved these problems and figured out who actually won this county commission race. But it was all messed up because one candidate withdrew and the Secretary of State's office reprogrammed voting computers to try to eliminate that candidate's name from the ballot. But that change didn't take on all the different components of Georgia's voting system. And so it's caused huge huge problems trying to figure out who got the most votes in this race. And hopefully it'll get worked out. Fortunately, we do have paper ballots that we can count. We didn't have that in Georgia from 2002 until 2019 or 2020. Um, But that's what they're doing. They're looking at the actual paper ballots and trying to figure out who really won this county commission race. Now, Mark, do we know if the programming error in that specific race, did that have an effect on any of the other races that those voters were casting ballots in? We certainly hope that this issue was only confined to this one county commission district. And that's what election officials believe to be the case. But if it is discovered that somehow this technical problem with this one race did spill over into other races, that would be a much bigger problem. So far, we 
believe, election officials believe that this problem is just confined to the DeKalb County Commission race. But we'll have to see what the official results actually show. And here we are a week after the primary election, and we still don't know. Has anybody else who was affected or anybody else on those ballots, has anybody not conceded or are there any other races outstanding because of that computer error or is it just this one narrow commission race? It's just this one county commission race. Yes. Okay. In DeKalb County. Um, But this is the kind of um, computer programming mistake that critics of Georgia's voting system point to as saying that why do we have such a complicated system rather than paper ballots? You know, this system prints out paper ballots. About 70% of the country uses paper ballots filled out by hand. And that is a little bit simpler than having a computer screen that prints out a ballot for you. And when you do have more computer components, you do introduce more complexity and more room for error. Now, the advantage of the computerized system is you do have that nice big touch screen. It does help people with vision or hearing impairment issues. It does make it, it is more what Georgia voters are used to since we've had a touchscreen voting system since 2002. So um, there are pluses and minuses, but certainly I don't think anybody would disagree that our voting system is more complicated and than just filling it out with a pen and paper. Okay. So I, of course, miss Greg being on the podcast today, but I was very excited to have you on because I really want to get your assessment of how the primaries have gone so far. So this was the first major election since SB202 passed last year. And um, obviously, partisans from both sides have been weighing in how the race has gone and does it prove that SB202 was not was not at all what Democrats warned or was it exactly what Democrats warned? Um, how do you assess the administration of these elections? How did it go other than DeKalb County? Well, let's talk about the impact of Georgia's voting law, Senate Bill 202. And this is where you have to have some detail, right? Turnout was impressive for a primary. Um, We don't have final turnout numbers, but I think it'll probably be around 2 million, which is really good for a primary, really high turnout. It shows tremendous voter engagement, which is what we want in in a democracy. It shows that voters are involved and they care about the candidates and they care about the races and they realize that politics matters. Um, But then when you say you, especially from the Republican side of the aisle, they say, well, look, Georgia's voting law didn't have, didn't matter. It didn't keep anybody from voting. That's where it isn't so clear cut because turnout was always going to be high because voters were going to find a way to vote because they were interested in the race. And Georgia does have a lot of different ways you can vote. You can vote in person early, you can vote in person on election day, or you can vote absentee. So you really need to look at what the direct effects of Georgia's voting law were. And most of the voting law dealt with absentee voting. And that's where you did see a big effect. You know, so many people voted absentee in the 2020 election. In the general election, my memory is it was over 25% of voters were absentee. It was more like a third, maybe even higher than that in the primary. 
This primary, absentee voters were somewhere around 4% of the total, which is even lower than historical norms, where it was around 5 or 6% absentee voters. And we don't have full data yet, but I think what we'll find is that many of the absentee voters of 2020 became early in-person voters this year. And you know that shows that if the point of Georgia's voting law was to kind of clamp down on absentee voting and discourage people from voting absentee and encourage them to vote in person, well then yes, that's that goal seems to have been accomplished because now absentee voting, the form is more complicated. It's a two-page form. You have to put in your driver's license number. You have to fill out more boxes. The time to request and return an absentee ballot is much shorter than it was in the past. And if you don't have those forms of ID, you need to make a photocopy of an ID and you need to return your ballot so much more promptly. And you can only apply for an absentee ballot until 11 days before the election. So that's what I see as the most direct evidence of the impact of SB202 is, is that people shifted away from mail voting and shifted back toward in-person voting. Now, that isn't suppression, right? Um, But it is creating behaviors that incentivize people to vote in person rather than vote from home. Mm -hmm. Did we hear any evidence of any major outages, major problems that were keeping voters from casting their ballots on time when they did go to in-person voting? Um, Were there any major system malfunctions or anything that really caught your eye on election day? Well, on election day, there were some initial problems. For the most part, there, by and large, it was a smooth election day from the voter perspective. Um, most voters had no problems. There weren't reports of very many long lines, although lines did build up um, as we got toward the close of polls, that five o'clock to seven o'clock time frame. You did, I did hear reports of our plus weights in some polling places, but that was at the last minute and it was only in isolated locations, right? For the most part, you saw um, no weights, no lines, and no problems for most voters. But that isn't to say there weren't problems. There were some. Um, early in the morning, some polling places, didn't their machines didn't start up or weren't hooked up correctly. Or um, certainly, we saw during early voting issues where people um, had a hard time finding their voter registration information initially on the state's MITRE voter page. Those kinks got mostly worked out. And then we also had issues related to redistricting where voters didn't necessarily know which district they were in. In some cases, we heard reports of voting machines not reflecting the new districts for, especially for local races, um, these county commission races and school board races in particular. And so those were problems. Um, Most of them were corrected, but it wasn't a flawless election. But I would say for the vast majority of voters, they didn't experience problems. But we have to, we don't want problems for any voters. We we want an election that's smooth for everyone. 
Yes. Anytime I ask you a question about Georgia elections, a lot of times I hear, well, it's not apples to apples. You can't compare this to that. Um, and then also just how important details matter, because for any any example that we put out there that X was not a problem, we will hear from voters to say, yes, that was a problem for me. So it's very hard to make sweeping generalizations, even though I just asked you to make a sweeping generalization about the last elections. Now, um, it was, of course, Brad Raffensperger's job to oversee this election while also so being on the ballot this time in this huge Georgia primary and among your other many jobs at the AJC, you were actually covering that race for Raffensperger. Um, what was your takeaway from that race, um, watching him win by, especially win by that huge 18-point margin um, that I don't think most people, even perhaps Brad Raffensperger, expected um, to walk out of there on election night um, without having to go back to a runoff? Right. It's really hard to win a competitive race against a Trump oppo- Trump-endorsed opponent without going to a runoff. You know, there were four candidates in this race, and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger got 52% of the vote. And, you know, if he had been heads up with Congressman Jody Heiss in a runoff, that would have been an a big challenge, right, in a heads-up match. Um, it seems like, to me anyway, that the initial race in the primary was his best chance when he would get a lot of Democratic Party crossover voters who wanted to vote against the Trump-endorsed candidates, including Heiss and David Perdue, for example. Um, So I thought it was going to a runoff. Um, Some people disagreed with me and were much more confident in the Secretary of State's chances. Um, And he did come out ahead and did avoid of runoff. And it always reminds me that of two things. One, the power of incumbency. The incumbent always has a huge edge that can't be overlooked. But also, you know, once you get past the governor and Senate races, those down ballot races, so much depends on campaigning and reaching out to voters and trying to have a message that appeals not just to Atlanta, but to the other metro areas and the rural parts of the state. And sometimes it's really hard to see the influence that a candidate is having on voters outside of what you see at your media market or in your news that you read or your campaign ads, right? You don't see the signs. You don't see their community events or their rallies that are held throughout the state. And what you see in the Secretary of State Raffensperger, you know, he did put on a lot of miles. He said he put 40,000 miles on his truck driving around Georgia, going to rotary clubs and going to county party events and local debates and just local civic organizations and basically defending himself, saying um, that what was true and what was not about the 2020 election. He didn't shy away from his record. He met these small groups of voters and hoped that convincing small groups of voters would have a larger impact. And I think what we saw is that that strategy paid off. That's so interesting. I actually saw you wrote in your piece um, about the race that he had spoken a lot to rotary clubs all around the state. And I saw him at the Gwinnett Rotary and he said, I'm running for election. And he had not said that publicly before. And so 
we were all kind of like, oh, is, is this his announcement? Has he just announced this at the Gwinnett Rotary? And indeed, that's where he announced it. Um, but he was telling those Rotarians and like trying to connect with them about messages of character and honesty and doing the right thing. Um, they're just not the types of messages you typically hear in a Secretary of State's race. Um, and so it was such an unusual forum and such a low-key dynamic, but that really obviously connected um, with a lot of those GOP voters who uh, decided to put him uh, back on the ballot without without a runoff. I just thought that was amazing. I think so. I think there are a couple things going on here. One, it's easier to relate to people in a small group, right? Um Few people are extremists when you can talk to them face to face, right? <laughs> but if you get in a large group of partisans, then the most extreme elements really stand out and can um, kind of influence the crowd. But if you get in a group of 20 people or 30 people, right, it's a more intimate setting. And then also, you know, Secretary of State Raffensperger, he appealed to traditional conservatism, you know, um, honesty and integrity and um, small government and these kind of issues that aren't directly about elections, but do have widespread appeal when you're running a statewide race. Yeah, he can probably thank Donald Trump for having 100% name ID going into that uh, election as well. Um, well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. And we're, I know we're going to have you back very soon on the podcast to continue to break down all of these elections as we um, as we have them coming up. I know we've got a runoff coming up in three weeks here as well. So we'll have you back uh, either before then or right after to break down the results with us. Great. Thank you. And let me leave you with, don't forget about the runoffs, which are coming up June 21st. We have a lot of important runoffs. Elections keep on going and it will be fascinating to see who comes out of the runoffs. And also, please stay tuned on updates about that DeKalb County recount. Um, we're just getting news right now as we speak that DeKalb still doesn't have results. So we are not at the end. Um, continue to follow AJC to find out how that turns out and ultimately who won and what went wrong. Okay. Oh my goodness. Well, and also all you really have to do is continue to refresh Mark Nisi's Twitter feed if you would just like the latest and greatest on that race. Um, now, just ahead, hear my fellow political insiders, Greg Bluestein and Tia Mitchell, as they sit down with Sports Illustrated's John Gonzalez on the Sports Illustrated weekly podcast to talk about Herschel Walker's political rise and what it says about the power of celebrity and the MAGA movement inside the political system. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. 
Welcome back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Patricia Murphy, one of the three political insiders here at the AJC and one of the authors of The Jolt. I'm the early morning author of The Jolt. We think of the morning Jolt newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics, and you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can join the community now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast and your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. Now, my fellow AJC political insiders, Greg Bluestein and Tia Mitchell, sat down last week with John Gonzalez on the Sports Illustrated Weekly Podcast to talk about Herschel Walker and his victory in the Georgia primaries. And Greg, we're making this segment available here on today's Political Georgia podcast for our listeners. From college football hero to politician, this story covers Walker's sports career, his life and struggles, and the story of the man he'll be challenging for Senate in November, Senator Raphael Warnock. We want to give you a chance to hear this podcast. Herschel Walker led Georgia's Republican Senate primary from wire to wire, and his victory sets up a hotly contested general election against incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock. Like much of the GOP these days, Walker has embraced and espoused the MAGA talking points promoted by former President Donald Trump, a man he met and befriended decades ago when both were part of the original USFL. While Walker rails against immigration and critical race theory, and falsely claims that Trump won the 2020 election, he has largely refused to address allegations of domestic violence and other troubling incidents from his past, none of which seems to have bothered the Republican voters who elevated him as their nominee for November. So what does Walker's ascendance tell us about our idolatry of sports and fame, as well as the state of our strained political system? How is it that Walker, a man once celebrated for running the football, ended up running for Senate? In the 1980 election returns in Greene County, Georgia, Herschel Walker received three write-in votes for President of the United States. He was in high school. I'm Curry Kirkpatrick. I was a writer at Sports Illustrated from 1965 out of college to 1992. In 1981, I did a cover story for Sports Illustrated about Herschel Walker. We put him on the cover because the previous football season, as a freshman, he led Georgia to the national championship, a 12-0 undefeated season where they beat Notre Dame in the national championship game. When the Irish scored, old Herschel said, well, you're pretty good, old son. But when the junkyard dog give me the ball, I'll show you how it's done. Dogs on the field, now hunker on down. He got hurt in the national championship game against Notre Dame. He came back out to run for over 100 yards and beat the Irish almost single-handedly. That's how great this guy was as a football player. I still think it's one of the most remarkable seasons in the history of college athletics. The Irish bowed their heads because they knew that they'd been beat. And they laid that national championship on the ground at the Bulldogs' feet. Herschel said, Irish, just come on back if you ever want to try again. I done told you once, you son of a gun, we're the best it's ever been. His career was all planned out, that Herschel seemed to have a sense of what he was going to be. In other words, he learned to be a hero in high school. And I think Herschel Walker learned to be a hero before he became a football star.
There were many people I talked to then that said he was almost like a politician even back then. And now he's running for the U.S. Senate. We should give all athletes the right to move over into politics. But at that point, we should then hold them to account. And not just for being an athlete, but what they are now, what they've become, what Herschel Walker has become. You're now a politician, and we have to figure out what that means. Control of the U.S. Senate could be hanging in the balance depending on this contest. I'm Greg Bluestein. I'm the political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm also the author of a new book called Flipped, How Georgia Turned Purple and Broke the Monopoly on Republican Power. I am from Georgia. I'm a Georgia native, college at University of Georgia. As it turns out, Greg is also something of a sports fan. Huge, huge. Big Georgia fan. I went to both the uh, national championship game in Indianapolis, the Orange Bowl, the SEC championship, first time national championship since before I was born. At the Irish one. Gotta be Walker. Touchdown. The game is over. Georgia has won 17 to 10. It was Herschel Walker. It was in the early 80s. And again, it was before I was born. But I, I grew up hearing stories about Herschel Walker and his athletic feats. And, you know, just the name was synonymous with UGA growing up. I don't know if people really grasp how big Herschel Walker's star is in Georgia. My name is Tia Mitchell. I'm the Washington correspondent for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Herschel Walker, he's the biggest star to come out of the University of Georgia. He's also a Georgia native. I think there was assumption that he would run in Texas. That's where he was living and has been living for several years. He's lived in Texas for decades, and yet still has probably almost universal name recognition in Georgia before he moved back here a few months ago. That's the power of Herschel Walker's brand and his image in Georgia right now. America is so proud of this man, one of the greatest athletes in our country's history, the greatest running back who played at a certain school that you love very much, and he broke every record. Trump and Walker have known each other since 1984, when Trump bought the USFL team that lured Walker away from Georgia. They've been friends ever since. In his 2008 memoir, Walker wrote that Trump became a mentor to him and even modeled his business practices after him. They have this very unique bond in a way that I, I think no other candidate probably has. They are so close. We've been together for a long time. I want to be a leader like him when I get to that Senate seat to show everyone I love America. Thank you. I mean, he went to Disney World with Donald Trump's kids. You know, he joked that he babysat them. Like the former president, Herschel Walker leans more on hyperbole than policy while on the campaign trail. And also like Trump, Walker has been more inclined to ignore troubling allegations against him rather than address them. In the political world, Candidates and their allies hire teams of researchers who do what we call opposition research. And they pour through everything they can possibly find about a candidate. And, you know, and some of it's you know, minor, and some of it's not so minor. There's a lot. His oppo book is pretty thick, to be honest. Domestic 
abuse allegations. There's been police reports and allegations and court documents that show that he violently assaulted his ex-wife. There is an incident with the Dallas Cowboys cheerleader documented in police reports as well. You also have his business dealings, and he's been accused of launching businesses that don't perform well or don't pay their bills. And the third part, I think, is the more touchy subject, which is his mental health. Yeah, on the campaign trail, Herschel Walker is very frank about his mental health struggles. I mean, he says even as a kid, he was picked on, he was bullied, and that's when he got attracted to athletics. That's when he started working out and sticking up for himself. But he says he uh, has struggled with disassociative identity disorder for years. He attributes that to some of the violent and erratic behavior he had, especially during his playing career, especially when it comes to violence against women, uh, women who he's very close to. Herschel Walker hit such a mental health low that he felt compelled to play Russian roulette. This is Herschel Walker on the Howard Stern Show in 2010. Let's explain to people if they don't know what Russian roulette is. You take a gun and you put, this is the worst thing you could ever do. You take a bullet and you stick it in in one of the six chambers. And and spin the cylinder and put it to your head and pull the trigger. And how many times did you play that? I've done that over six times. In a political campaign where everything is sort of weaponized, that could come back to haunt him as someone who, who felt so depressed that he was willing to take his own life. And now is running to be one of the most powerful politicians in the nation. It's not just about his violent history. This is such a well-known story in Georgia, especially to UGA graduates and and fans like myself. But Herschel Walker famously did not graduate from the University of Georgia. He he left early to, to go pro. But his campaign and even Herschel Walker himself in speeches and even on his campaign website for a time said he graduated from the University of Georgia. It was such an easily disproven fact. Anyone who follows Georgia football, especially during that era, knew that he didn't graduate. And these are the issues that his rivals will use in the general election campaign to sort of paint this picture of someone who is not to be trusted, who is not a legitimate candidate. His opponent, Raphael Warnock, and his allies are going to make a major deal about whether or not he really has been held to account for some of these past incidents. Raphael Warnock, he's already got more than $26 million in cash on hand. And so what we're watching over the next few weeks is how Senator Warnock and his allies choose to use some of these damaging reports that have already come out. It's so amazing to me what a central role sports has played in Georgia's U.S. Senate contest because, yeah, it was even before Herschel Walker got in the race, Kelly Leffler was the co-owner of Atlanta's WNBA franchise, The Dream. And amid the Black Lives Matter protest, Kelly Leffler saw an opening. Kelly Leffler surprised people because instead of being the moderate conservative whose brand was, I'm a leader and a tough boss lady, but I'm not gonna scare you off. What her brand became was far-right conservative. There are calls for U.S. Senator Kelly Leffler to step away from the Atlanta dream, the WNBA team she co-owns after writing a letter opposing players wearing Black Lives Matter and Say Her Name slogans on warm-up jerseys. They made the strategic decision to write an open letter to the WNBA, and it's triggered this uproar from the WNBA and from her own team's players. 
they turned on her. Not only did they say, we don't support what you're saying, they said, vote Warnock. Literally, they wore black shirts with bold white letters that said, vote Warnock. And they wore it to games and they posted it on social media. It was a turning point for Senator Warnock's campaign. At the time, you know, he was always the front runner. He was always expected to get the Democratic nomination. But he was lagging in fundraising. He was having a hard time getting his message out. And it just put him in an even stronger position. And he won this special election runoff against Kelly Loeffler, who branded him over and over again, this radical liberal, radical liberal. And he won it with the ability to connect with moderate voters, especially in the suburbs. Raphael Warnock, he has one of the most powerful platforms in not just Georgia, but probably the South, as the lead preacher, the lead pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church, which is Martin Luther King Jr.'s historic pulpit. And when they hired Reverend Warnock, they hired someone who went to Morehouse like Dr. King, who pledged the same fraternity as Dr. King. He clearly embraced that role as head pastor of Ebenezer. His first time in one of those Senate office buildings was not as a senator, it was as an activist being arrested because he was protesting on health care. He's honed this role in Atlanta's civic life as this sort of voice of conscience. He gave the eulogy at the late Congressman John Lewis's funeral. But as his life took shape, instead of preaching sermons, he became one. He became a living, walking sermon about truth-telling and justice-making in the earth. He loved America until America learned how to love him back. We celebrate John Lewis. He also developed a really close relationship with Stacey Abrams. And it was Stacey Abrams who encouraged Raphael Warnock to run for the U.S. Senate. Herschel Walker's race and being able to match another black man against Raphael Warnock definitely plays a role in why he was recruited to move from Texas back to Georgia to run for this office. And quite frankly, it will help Herschel Walker pull some support from Raphael Warnock because black male voters are more open to voting Republican than black female voters. Donald Trump made inroads with black male voters in 2020. Raphael Warnock is the first black U.S. senator in state history. And in Georgia, the African-American electorate is the cornerstone of the Democratic Party. It is the most important electoral bloc. You cannot win the party nomination, let alone a general election campaign if you're a Democrat, without overwhelming support from black voters. And that's why Herschel Walker's candidacy is so interesting, because if Herschel Walker can win 15% of the African-American vote in Georgia, this race might be over. If there's one thing I've learned over the last few months of, of covering Herschel Walker, it's don't underestimate him. We've talked about all the things that could have brought his star down over the years. Allegations of not treating women well, operating his businesses poorly, his struggles with mental illness. Despite all of that, his brand remains really strong, especially in Georgia. 
He has Donald Trump support, even but he also has Mitch McConnell's. He's the rare candidate who can try to bridge that gap between mainstream Republicanism and the MAGA crowd. He came from nothing, went to Georgia, made the most of that, went to the NFL, made the most of that. Herschel Walker continues to make the most of his situation. He has the it factor where he knows how to tell his story in a compelling way. I went to one event recently, and many of the people in the audience were not his supporters, but I interviewed a few of them on the way out, and they, they came away saying, wow, you know, I could vote for this guy. This race is going to be a real test of whether or not 2020 and the Democratic successes in Georgia were a fluke, or whether or not Democrats have truly have staying power. We'll also see the extent of Donald Trump's influence do they want the pastor, principled moral leader on progressive issues or the football star who says, I'm just like you, I made it, I'm going to make America great again? Georgia is the most politically divided state in the nation. 11,000 or so votes divided Joe Biden and Donald Trump. So we are this 50-50 tinderbox right now. And that's why this race could really go either way. Which of these two powerful black men do you want representing you in Washington? That's what the choice is gonna come down to. Tia Mitchell and Greg Bluestein are political reporters for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Once again, I'd like to thank Sports Illustrated for having Tia Mitchell and me on their Sports Illustrated Weekly Podcast. We have a link to the Sports Illustrated Weekly Podcast in today's show description. And you can count on new episodes of our podcast, Politically Georgia, to come out every Wednesday, Friday, or whenever news breaks. So we will see you then on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that black people might want to know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.